ready for the Beyond the Wire podcast with Tim Keller and Matt Fisher, starting now. Welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I'm your host, Tim Keller, along with me, as he always is, Mr. Matt Disher, giving us the double pointer fingers today. Love it. Love it. I, You know what I love? I love the new entry you created, Matt, because the explosions at the end remind me of the time in my life where I ate dirt and could sleep on the peak of a mountain in the middle of my back and wake up feeling refreshed and rejuvenated. Now I get eight hours of sleep in a comfy bed and I wake up going, oh my God. <laughs> Back back when you were a roving warrior of the seas. Mm, absolutely. And, Top of the food and, chain. Uh, I was coaching a little bit of baseball last night, and it was the first baseball practice we've had in a little bit. It was indoor. It's a little cold outside, right? So uh, I was showing these boys how to kind of how to field a grounder. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, buttocks and thighs. It's a lot of muscular work there. Yeah. And a half an hour after I did it, I was in pain. <laughs> did you get the jello legs i had stretched no i just like i pulled my hammies or something like that it was really weird and the thing is i stretched with the boys and i look i typically don't hurt like that like i don't my body doesn't do that i can go to the gym and i can go out and run and do crazy things and my body doesn't hurt and you know most people my age they say that it hurts but this one really got me and i don't know if it's because we just flipped over into a new year and now i'm old but um it's hard being 23 24 weather could also you know, affect that a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, you're stretching with the boys, but you're talking about stretching with a bunch of like 11 and 12 year olds yeah. who their muscles aren't even attached to things yet. You know, they're just kind of floating around. You can't pull muscles at that age. These kids don't even have to stretch. Like they, yeah. they, they really like we do it to, I do it with them to try to teach them good habits because yes. as they get older, you really can have injuries that, yes. that affect you. Yes. But right now, I mean, some of these guys, and this is how it was with the, you know, the football team, when I coached football a few months back, uh, we would do stretches. Like that was a good 15 minute part of the warm up. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of these guys would show up a half an hour before practice and they'd be out there sp- sprinting and killing each other and crushing each other in the field and stuff like yeah. that. So, Kids that age wake up and can just sprint. Yeah. And yeah, we're fine. It's, <laughs> I mean, you know, like for me, this was just a few years ago being in my early 20s. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that long ago that uh, I experienced this, but. Um, yeah. There, there are days, depending on what I do the day before or how I rest, that I have to like wake up and, oh, man, you know, rotate the shoulder a little bit. Right. Stretch, you know, stretch the back out. It's uh, it's it's not fun getting old. It's rough, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Father time is undefeated against everyone. It does not matter. But how have you been other than uh, coaching baseball? Good. I, uh, I got the opportunity to go to a Bengals game. Nice. Uh, the, against the Ravens uh, this past Sunday, uh, the football game, unlike the previous football game that we attended, went as planned. <laughs> uh, thank goodness. Uh, on that note, DeMar Hamlin is home I, now. I have him jotted down. He was released yeah. from the Cincinnati Hospital the other yeah. day, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, he, he went into uh, a Buffalo area medical facility. Yep. And they, as of this afternoon, I think they've cleared him to be at home. He can rehab yep. from there. So, uh, you know, I don't really have an update on what his honest condition and condition is. Right. But we can say it's uh, it's much better than it was this time last week. So, right. You know, so again, uh, thankfully, hopefully being 24 and in that grade of shape 
has has helped us uh, in some way. I'm sure it has. Speaking of 24, uh, Stetson, what's his last name? Stetson, Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett is mm-hmm. one year older than Demar Hamlin, and just one. Isn't he 25? And just one. He is 25. Yeah, his second yeah, national college championship with a blowout of TCU. Sorry if there's any uh, Horn Frog fans listening or watching, uh, but yeah, that was a uh, that was a big big game for the Bulldogs. If you don't know Stetson Bennett's story, go check him out. I mean, he's uh, I'm sure that Disney or, or Paramount will, will buy the rights to his story at some point and they'll make a movie. But uh, the kid walked on at Georgia um, years ago. Was told, hey, you're you're not good enough. You're just probably not even going to make the team. He transfers to a junior college where he starts to, you know, get get action and get to play on the field. Um, after a year, maybe two, I think it was just one year at the junior college, he goes back to Georgia, earns himself a scholarship, waits his turn, becomes the starter, and it's just been nothing but great things for him since in the Georgia Bulldogs. So it's a it's a heck of a story for sure. A kid that just never gave up. Uh, true determination and grit and you know self-belief so uh, yeah there were there were a lot of memes floating around about how tom brady and stetson bennett are the same age and, and, and things like that so I, I thought that was pretty funny uh, it, but tom, they were, they tom were, brady makes a lot more money than he does right now a lot more money and there were there were a handful of these these things floating around on social that were talking about how uh there are guys in the nfl that have already you know been through a couple of teams that are younger mm-hmm. Or that are it's, this age. It's interesting. Like, um, uh, I want to say he's a, a Browns wide receiver right now, Amari Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he came out at like the age of twenty. He yeah, was still twenty when he entered the NFL. Yeah. Um, and then there's kids that come out at you know twenty three, twenty four. You know, a couple years later, and you think, oh well, Amari Cooper's been playing for like it seems like five years. He's right. He's got to be like twenty seven, twenty eight, and this right. guy's. 24 and you you go and you look and you're like oh no they're both 24 yeah oh that's <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 funny how sometimes that works and for stenson's you know to stenson's credit he uh you know he just kept plugging away and kept doing it and it paid off big for him so hopefully right. uh right I, I don't know if he's got the, the the talent to turn into a joe burrow in uh at the next level but i'm, I'm sure he'll stick around with the, with a team or two for a while you never know Look, it's like any of these sports, you know, these people come and go and and people think that they're going to be the next big hot shot. And then a year later, that person just simply is not what everybody thought they were cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've seen that a few times with with my own team, the Bengals, and every team has seen that. Oh, we've got the new Heisman. Yep. You know, we get the new quarterback. He was, you know, national champion. And then they come in and like, it, they just don't do well. Now, a lot of it's because of, you know, who they've got behind them on the team, who they got catching the ball, who they got carrying the ball, et cetera. Speaking of catching the ball, my shelf here is adorned with a new... I, I noticed uh, that last week. This is a Jamar Chase signed ball. Mm. Uh, it's actually my son's. My son got this for as a Christmas gift from his aunt and uncle who uh, who know one of the Bengals coaches. Oh, that's awesome. uh, and so they got, I guess they got one of these for him. So I have it protected in uh, in glass Please. here yeah, inside of in my office. But it's kind of cool if... I started putting all these different things on the shelf, right? So now whenever we get something kind of cool, we we end up on the shelf with it. But that's a uh, that's a Jamar Chase signed ball. If if that young gentleman continues to do what I think he's going to do with the rest of his career, um, keep that ball under glass because it's going to turn into a, a very valuable item. It'll stick around. And uh, I am one of those that I like to keep the collectibles. Mm-hmm. I would never... I would, I, I don't know if I consider selling it unless, you know, somebody wanted to come along and I, I don't know. It's just the value of having it, uh, you know, you have something that this person 
signed yeah, for you. Um, absolutely. And and it's my son's. So is it is uh, it personalized to him? No, it's just got it's just Jay Chase on it. It's you can kind of see you can kind of see right yeah, there. Yeah, see right above your finger the, the yeah the sharpie, but yeah. So that's awesome. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool for him. You know, Matt, I, I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Uh, you know, living in Ohio, um, do you have a college sports team that you follow? You know, obviously, everybody in Ohio is an Ohio State fan. I, we're not, but we're not. So in okay. my household, so my whole, my wife's family is Miami. all from Nebraska. She's Hurricanes, right? No, Nebraska. I thought she went to Miami. No, they they all went to Nebraska. Oh, she, she went to Miami of Ohio. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, Miami, Miami of Ohio. Yeah, I've got the, the where is it here? Backwards. Right, uh, right Miami. Yeah, there's a Miami there University. Yeah, Miami of Ohio, uh, which is where Ben Roethlisberger went as well. So mm-hmm. they were in college, I think, at the same time uh right around the same time there was some overlap there i was like do you ever run into him in college he's like i wouldn't have known who he was back then yeah um but uh yeah you know the big ogre on campus (laughs) right right um so you know my wife's family and like her father and all their family like they all they're all from lincoln nebraska so uh, he has he has several season tickets like we go out there all the time nebraska hasn't been doing very well in football recently but You know, my son has already been out there multiple times. We've we've taken road trips and flights out there to to sit in those seats and watch the games. But, um, you know, University of Cincinnati is also they've they've had a couple of good years yeah. last year, obviously. Uh, so we're UC fans. There you go. I don't think that we're as die hard into college, uh, just because like uh, you know I went to Northern Kentucky University. I mm-hmm. started out at University of Cincinnati, finished up at Northern Kentucky University. There's not really many sports teams there. There's basketball, but I don't think they're fielding any uh, other world-class sports. So uh, Nebraska, we've got some Nebraska shirts in the house. There's a little flag outside of our house, Nebraska Cornhuskers, which makes everybody mad because everybody's an Ohio State fan. Yeah. In, in the Big Ten, you how dare you live in Ohio and you're not an Ohio State fan? Well, you know, when I come across those uh, those Buckeyes over here in Pennsylvania, I just go, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself or me. I don't want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, I I think about it like this. It's like Ohio State fields good football teams, right? And they're fantastic. There's a lot of criticism. Like they have easy schedules. If they went up against some of the other harder teams, it wouldn't be like that. You know, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't just be crushing every team they play. But, you know, at the same time, like I am one of those, I like the underdog sometimes. Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't want the behemoth sports team to go out there that has all the recruiting success. They've got all the, you think about this, like a guy like Joe Burrow sat the bench there mm-hmm. uh, and didn't get an opportunity to go out there and take any snaps uh, and then goes to LSU and, and kills it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. It's it's one of those things where um, they get, again, us being Nebraska fans, like I'm sure a lot of the talent that Nebraska could have otherwise picked up goes to places like Ohio State, obviously, uh, probably Michigan, you know, a handful of others. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, around here, that's the big rivalry. It's it's. You, how dare anybody says Michigan in Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. Michigan. You leave out the M. Yeah, the team uh, that cannot be spoken of. Right, right. But I, I, don't, I, will, I don't partake in a lot of it. You'll see teams like Ohio State or Georgia, for instance, who just won the national championship. Uh, you know, Texas ha- has always had like a rich history of football, mm-hmm. um, except for about the past 10, 15 years. Um, and that's because these big teams like Georgia – a lot of their players come from Texas. They go into yeah. these states that produce these these big time five star recruits, and you know these big programs can go in and they're stealing them from the teams like Texas. And the kids ain't right. staying at home no more. So, 
Yeah. You don't, you don't need to stay home to see your friends because everybody can FaceTime and Snapchat right. and TikTok and that's all right. Well, I've, in, in any of those big schools with good football programs, uh, you know, you're you're going to get an opportunity to shine and be on you know the national level, which leads to in some cases a potential look at the NFL. So, yep. Obviously, you know, pick pick your. It's kind of like taking a job, right? If you, if you intend to be the next big CEO of whatever, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to do that sitting in your basement um, coding or something like that, right? You're, you're going to have to go out there and get in the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, speaking of young men and women that are choosing colleges, there's also another option out there, and that is to join the military. Our first article kind of talks about that a little bit. But that why is... would you but why would you join the military mm. when when there are such conceptions about it? Well, that's that's just, exactly what, that's professional radio, everyone. That's how you do it. <laughs> uh, the first article we're gonna talk about today, the army could not effectively address Gen Z's misconceptions about army life in 2022. Now, Matt, you your boy is eleven, correct? Yeah, he's eleven. Okay. So I have uh I have two girls around the 13 year old age, another one. 18. So Gen Z starts at 1997. So mm -hmm. Americans born after 1997 are considered the Gen Z. In generations past, there were a few things we were sure we knew about joining the army. You got money for college, free healthcare, access to VA home loans. And if you stuck around long enough, you could retire after 20 years. Yep. Well, apparently Gen Z and me being a father of, of three individuals that are Gen Z, I can tell you that they pretty much think they know everything. Yeah. Well, finally, there's an article that proves them different. Right. They are, they are incorrect. <clears throat> Apparently, the Gen Z generation does not know any of that, according to a survey released last year. But they also think they do. <laughs> so a March 2022 Know Your Army National Consumer Survey of 3,000 people aged 18 to 76 found that a lack of awareness about Army benefits could be a culprit to why the Army suffered with their recruiting numbers last year. The survey found that 73% of Gen Zers surveyed believe they know what Army life is like, the highest number ever recorded by any generation. These kids know everything. They have TikTok <laughs> in, their, in their pockets on their devices. They know it all. But their perceptions don't match the reality of the Army benefits or the career. <coughs> Excuse me. So if you enjoy uh, military recruiting commercials get ready because the army has created a know your army media campaign which has covered the these basic tenets of army life from 30 days paid vacation and parental leave to early retirement and va home loans the survey found that 30 percent of gen z respondents believe that working in the army will put them in a combat role when the reality is much different only 29 percent of ver veterans from all branches reported seeing combat in a 2019 pew research study as the largest branch of the military, the Army offers careers that might deploy but are unlikely to see actual combat. So you get to travel the world as well. Oh, God, that stinks. <laughs> what What a tear. Wait, wait. You're telling me that I can travel around the world you without paying a dime for any of my flights travel, or lodging? You can travel to places that when you tell people you've been there, go, oh, my God, did you get to see this? Or did you do this? Or right. How was it? What did it look like? You can, well, nowadays you can just pull up your device and flip through your camera roll and show, oh, look, and yeah, here's me and here's that. And but look, yeah, 
we talk, I know we've got people watching too. So, so I would love to hear people chime in on this, like misconceptions about their, that their friends and family have about the military. Cause we've all addressed these. We've done this. Mm -hmm. I, I've done this for my, for much of my career. And a, a lot of times I'm doing it because people think, well, why would I hire somebody out of the military when all they're doing is out there having gunfights and kicking doors down? And, and actually the, the weird thing is about this, I think I read somewhere in here that that 29%, the reality of military life is is much different as only 29% of veterans from all branches received, I'm sorry, reported seeing combat in a new 2019 Pew Research study. 29% from of veterans from all branches reported seeing combat. I, I'd like to know what timeline those people served in the military. I'd also like to know what extent they're talking about seeing combat because mm -hmm. it's it's always been my understanding. And, and I, I'd say that, again, this is a blind survey, right? It's always been my understanding that it is a fraction of 29% that ever see combat at any given time. Like I'm talking down to three to 5%. Because if you think about it, most of the branches, most of, of everybody in all of the branches is not in combat. Uh, so there's a, there's a stat that says 13 to 15% of people that actually serve in the military are in combat arms jobs. Mm -hmm. So they're the actual, what we would call trigger pullers and door kickers and things like that. The rest of the military as a general rule is in support elements. They're doing IT, they're doctors, nurses, they're corpsmen, they're uh, mechanics, et cetera, et cetera, IT people. Matt, you kind of like bring up a good point because in 2019, if the survey is done, let's say the majority of the, the respondents were you know, of our age or slightly younger. You're talking about a lot of people that were in the service during wartime that were yeah, probably deployed right. at one point in their four to 20 year career, uh, you know, yeah, you're probably bumping that number up of the percentage of respondents that did see combat at some time. Right. Well, Mason says here, Mason. So again, Mason chimed in last week. Mm -hmm. Thanks Mason for coming in again. Uh, Mason, former Marine, uh, uh, and then went army special forces. I think 29% is still really high, like really, really high. And I would agree with that. I think 29% is, probably an inflated number again from what I think when people maybe respond from a military survey, if they're in the military and they're saying, I'm, I've seen combat, they might be like, well, I was in Kuwait. Uh, maybe not on the front lines. Maybe you've seen Some, somebody was, was slipping in. I was in a combat zone. <laughs> right. Or I've heard, I've heard the explosion. There, there was, yeah, there was anti-tank fire right. about three miles away, but I wasn't directly involved. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's again the the misconception is that that that's what we're we're all doing. We're all out there kicking doors down and mm -hmm. and fighting the good fight. So you know, again, I know we've got other people uh, watching and listening. I'd, I'd just be curious to know if you've heard the same type of number and or what your other misconceptions are. Uh, it's it's so interesting though, Tim. To the point of that article, the military has many many more opportunities mm -hmm. than just out there pulling triggers, and even. Even the trigger pullers, most of the time, aren't aren't pulling triggers. Yeah, you know. So, so real quick, not to take us off track, but uh, you know, just based off of headshot, if I was the hiring manager and and I saw Mason's uh, LinkedIn profile, perfect headshot, Mason. You're you're doing it the right way. I'd hire you on the spot. You look fantastic. <laughs> you're doing great. Uh, back to the article here. Gen Zers also don't know how time in the army is actually spent. Forty nine percent of those Gen Zers survey believe that soldiers have zero. Work-life balance and soldiers get no personal time or vacation days, when in reality, military members tend to have more vacation days than the average American worker. 
according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, civilians working in the private sector get 10 to 20 days off per year, depending on how long they've worked at a company. Whereas, excuse me, whereas when you're in the military, up to 30 days of leave, there's the parental leave nowadays for, for both parents. <clears throat> then there are those things previous generations were sure they knew about joining the military, like the health care, the education, the retirement. Yet only 53% of Gen Z respondents to the survey reported accurate knowledge about the Army's tuition assistance programs, the GI Bill education benefits, and only 36% knew that training for Army occupational specialties could lead to advanced training certificates. Uh, that's that's one of the big ones. You know, if you didn't go to like a, a technical high school or, or a, you know, a college to, to get a certain degree, you go into the, the armed forces and some of these occupational specialties, you know, I, I know that members of the Marine Corps that would get into like aircraft control, it was a, normally a six-year contract yeah. because their schooling was so long. Uh, they wanted to maximize the time in service. Uh, but a lot of that correlated directly over to like aircraft control in the civilian sector. Right. You could get out and, and, you know, bump yourself into one of those jobs if one was available. <clears throat> Excuse me. Despite the fact that most members of the generation want to own a home, but say they cannot afford it. I hear that all the time from the younger generation. Only 34% of Gen Z age group knew about the VA home loan benefits. This includes provisions like not needing a down payment, lower interest rates, and not needing a private mortgage insurance when buying a home. Only 44% knew about the military's health care benefits for military members, and 42 knew that coverage could extend to their families at little to no cost. It's uh, I, I, I'm kind of interested to see where these, these kids, essentially, are, are getting these ideas from. Social media. Hmm. Uh, look, I mean, I, I've had conversations on Facebook. I've, I've seen it in the chats. Um, a lot of it, again, is misperception or misconception. It's it's their parents have a friend who was in the military and that person, bearing in mind that person uh, for the last 20 years, for example, was in the military engaged in conflict in Iraq, Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, I, I've talked to some of my own friends who, uh, some of which we've had on this podcast, some of which we have not, but um, some guys that stayed in when we were in that served with us, Tim, uh, they stayed in for 20 some odd more years mm -hmm. and I'd go meet them for a beer later on a couple of years ago in, in regard to this, they're about to retire and they go, you got out at the right time. Cause I missed my kids growing up, yeah. you know, because it was deployment after deployment after deployment. Now bearing in mind, these are combat arms jobs, right? So if you talk to special operations guys, you talk to infantry, you talk to combat engineers, you talk to probably some of the fighter pilots and the helicopter crews and stuff like that through the course of those conflicts for 20 years, if you stayed in for 20 years, you probably were just back to back to back deployments. Mm -hmm. um, some people joined for that though. That's why they stayed in. They wanted to go experience that. But I would say they're probably, a lot of the, the, the misconceptions, again, it comes from pop culture. You watch the movies, you see the, the posts on LinkedIn and YouTube and things like that. But what you have to understand is during non-wartime, the military can really very easily be a normal job. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people might argue, well, it's a normal job until we go to war. You're absolutely right. But assuming that you're not in a combat arms job, it still might be somewhat of a normal job. Um, you might have to pick up and go to different places. Like one of the frustrations of my own career, and although this is where we met, Tim, uh, I was in 1st Marine Division for all of my time. I had deployed with the 11th Mew. I had all this amazing training, doing all the things that I ever wanted to do as a Marine. 
And then suddenly I got orders for, for my last nine months to be in Okinawa. And I was like, wait a minute, we're, you know, we're, uh, we've been together like this unit's yeah. been together. We've been training and doing all these things for years and years and years. And, and then I'm going to Okinawa and I'm starting over and we did a completely different job in Okinawa. Yeah. It was a, it was a different experience. It's, it's one of the reasons I didn't stay in longer Yep. because of that. My last mm -hmm. nine months was just simply uneventful. It was, um, it was ta <clears throat> taking me out of the high stress combat environment and then putting me into something completely different. You and I would have met on Pendleton. Um, had it not been for September 11th, I, I actually yeah. had orders cut uh, to go over uh, to first Marine division. September 11th happens. I get kicked out to, uh, to Egypt early. Yep. Uh, we ended up hanging out over there um, over my orders. So they canceled those orders. And so I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to stay on Pendleton the, the remainder of my four years. And when I came home, that's when they cut me the orders to Oki and yeah. like, ah. got over Aaron's there and, Aaron, Aaron yeah. said, I loved it. I love Oki. I, I, I enjoyed it. It just yeah. wasn't the same. I think it's everybody has their own experience, right? It was yeah. a, I went from doing this really cool stuff mm. at first Marine division. And then I got to Okinawa and we were not doing the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I can't remember. I think we only had one demo range that year. Yes. I was there. Look, between going to the demo range once the right, I was like, man, I don't get to touch my weapon. I don't get to right. play with explosives. I'm not out there, you know, doing any sort of combat training over here. Like, oh, I, I went and signed up for, because of that, I went and signed up for, I went through the, uh, heavy machine gunner. I might screw up the name, heavy machine gunner instructor course. Mm -hmm. And so for a little bit of time, I was, I was, you know, moved over to this other section doing this heavy machine gun school. Look, and this goes into all the other experiences I had in the military. Like when we talk about how people think they know military life, like military life is this, right? It's, it is. Uh, it's guys riding around the floor polisher in the hallway in the barracks, for example. If you remember that floor polisher, you'd yes. you step out there and yeah. there's a guy like spinning in circles yeah. riding it. Just doing the radio. There there are the instances of some of which I can't talk about in public, like the the instances of when everybody gets back. At one point in time, we lived in the barracks in, in Camp Pendleton, and it was what we call it. We called them crack houses. They were these old squad bay barracks that had been, I guess, officially condemned but they had walls built into them we lived in those there were bats in the ceilings they've since torn them down and there's brand new barracks there but you'd have guys getting back from from two weeks in the field and there would just be nude people walking down the hallways with cigars in their mouths and stuff like like nonsense like that right yeah. i got to fish i got to fish for barracuda in the persian gulf mm -hmm. uh, i got to go scuba diving in the sea of china um, I've, I've stepped foot in, you know, the gold coast of Australia. Um, I've sunbathed in Thailand. I've done all these other things. Like there's, there's all these experiences that I think sometimes we don't talk about, uh, out to the public, but, um, you know, in essence, I, I did this. One of the other experiences I was going to talk about is this heavy machine gunner course. I set a hillside on fire in, uh, in Japan, nice. set the whole hillside on fire with tracer rounds, not on purpose, Whole hillside caught on fire with tracer rounds. And then we had probably what the, the equivalent of like a million dollars in ammunition sitting there in, a, in an ammo dump right next to where this fire was blazing. And all the Marines ran in there and tried to put it out with whatever means possible. You had Can't guys, you, I mean, you had guys, you, not kidding, you had guys peeing on the fire, you had guys yeah. kicking dirt, we had shovels. We were trying to put this fire out to keep it from spreading. I ended up getting an award for it because a bunch of us got burned trying to put this fire out. We, we ran in there. But that was one of those things like, you know, we needed that. I needed mm -hmm. that at the time. Cause it was like, 
we did all this crazy amazing stuff you needed to find a way to still have action yeah that's why when when i forget what the exercise even was but when we were helping other groups of marines do some do some you know jungle combat training uh some individuals that had come from more combat focused units took it upon ourselves to to really you know dress up the part and right uh, really get in there <laughs> and right maybe mess with some younger marines uh art um, there you go we both pressed the button same time yep. arthur ramirez my orders got cut for iraq uh i don't want to say you got lucky there art but uh it was definitely humid a lot more humid in uh, in okinawa than uh iraq but depends on what you wanted out of it if you wanted yeah. to go to oki then darn if you wanted to go to iraq then great yeah and then uh aaron coming back it makes sense what if you went from the intensity you were in before to the civilian instead of having your Oki time? Do you think it would have been a harder or easier during your transition? So then he gives this example, i.e., did the Okinawa time help you get used to a slower, less eventful regular routine as you see in the private sector? What do you think about that? I, I mean, he makes a great, it's a great question. There's mm -hmm. a great point there in that question that uh, you are in the military and especially if you were in one of these high intensity types of jobs and then suddenly you have Matt, to cut let's it just, off one day. Let's just think about us yeah. in particular. Both yeah. of our units ended up getting deployed to Iraq. Yeah. So if we had not gone to Okinawa, one, we would have never met like this anyways. Uh, so there would be no podcast, but I mean, going from a combat zone to the civilian life, I think would definitely be a, a more Hard. dramatic yeah. switch then going from your combat forward unit to, you know, Okinawa to where we were. And then, then in civilian life, I would definitely say that based off of where I was before being sent to Okinawa, that it probably did help my transition slightly. I think if I had to answer Aaron's question specifically, I would say, yes, it got me, what it did for me. If I'm looking back on it, it got me ready to get out. And, and, and part of that was, and I don't mean it like, I was civilianized enough, like the tempo had slowed down, like the, the op tempo wasn't there. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to go home and be a normal civilian. It took me still seven years to come home and, and, and be normal. And I say that because I, I often use the example that, you know, the military, and, and again, this might necessarily apply more to the combat arms, people, special operations, people, infantry, et cetera, that they teach you and train you to be a machine, to be a weapon. You are effectively, in some cases, being trained to kill people, uh, to to be able to harness and hide and subdue all of the horrible things that happen out in the world. You know, we as Americans are sheltered from a lot of this. You don't you don't see violence on the news. You hear about it. You don't see it. A lot of us aren't directly exposed to violence. Um, so I think you, you're still being conditioned, even if you have like nine months or a year in a different place, not being exposed to that. I still think it takes a really long time to be able to come back and act normal, as I say. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and then what I usually say is, and then one day society wants us to pretend like we're normal after having been 18 years old and above conditioned to not be normal. So, mm -hmm. but to Aaron's question, yeah, I think for me, it prepared me emotionally and mentally, like I'm ready to take the uniform off now and I'm ready to come home. But there was a, there was a, a piece for a number of years once I got home, figuring it all out and having to adjust. I, I, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Matt. Um, it probably took me, that last year, I still was going into that last 12 months. Uh, I, I still hadn't made a solid decision. Um, and I knew I would have to within the next four to five. Yeah. Um, 
but when I, yeah, when I got over to Okinawa and, you know, I went and sat down with the, uh, uh, the reenlistment recruiter, uh, after about three months there on Okinawa, I realized like, eh, this, this just isn't what I wanted. You know, this isn't how I envisioned me uh, yep. wrapping my time up, but uh, it just, and nothing against anyone over there in Okinawa in, in our unit or anyone else I met, I, you know, great people. I, I had a fun time over there. I got to see a lot of neat things, but uh, yeah, you know, I went in thinking, you know, I'm going to get to do some Rambo stuff and everyone I, I trained with to go do Rambo stuff, got to go do eh, some Rambo stuff, but they got to go and, and do what we trained for. And I had a sour taste of my mouth. Yeah. You know, here's the other thing though. The funny thing is that you mentioned about that. I always wanted to do the Rambo stuff too. There are photos of me going back in the woods as a kid with the camouflage i paint my face i put on the camouflage i'd be walking around with a machine gun in my hand and stuff like that but then when we got in the military although some of this stuff was really really cool to do in the time that you're doing it uh <laughs> a lot of the guys that i talk like when you're out there doing double cacks and 29 palms uh and and you are blowing things up and shooting guns all day long and you're cleaning your weapon 15 times a day and yeah you know or or even better when you're in you're you're in an offensive or defensive position in combat people complain about it like they are mm -hmm. they're like man i wish i just i just want to go back and have some chick-fil-a i want to be in the air conditioning and stuff like that so it's funny you want all those things but generally when you get there then once you get there you, you know, a lot of guys are bitching about it so yeah, yeah mason a, another great comment here the military is what you make of it that's essentially everything in life you can solve and not want to be there you can take advantage of all the opportunities getting a bachelor's degree finishing up a dual master's and an mba all paid for no student debt Pay attention, Gen Zers, while traveling the world and having a party bender for three days straight. Um, you know, and this and this final question that he posts here is, if you ask a veteran, do you regret joining the military? It'd be very hard to find one that actually truly regrets it. Uh, you know, yeah. th yes, there were definitely moments and periods and times where I go, this just absolutely stinks. Yep. You know, I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I'm dirty. I haven't got to shower in weeks. But by God golly did i i look back at it now and go man that was the time of my life right well and, and here's the other thing you signed up for the marine corps yeah like i know my recruiter and my dad who was my dad was in the navy during vietnam and he the reason why i joined the marines was because of his reference and his tellings of how the marines operated that he came mm -hmm. in contact with he was like these were the toughest toughest uh hardest toughest nails you know warriors on earth like these guys would come back on the ship covered in mud and blood and like you know whatever and like these dudes were hard and i was like i gotta be that but i also knew going into it that my recruiter was i'm still friends with my recruiter uh he was he was very straightforward he's like man 90 percent of it's going to be downtime it's going to be mm -hmm. sitting in the barracks or sitting in a meeting or at a planning table and doing all the stuff but that 10 percent where you're going you're going 200 percent it's going to suck and you're going to hate it uh, or or you're going to love it depending on and i'd say look like some of the toughest stuff I ever did when I talk about this is, you know, for, for the Gen Zers who are, are trying to figure out like what happens to them, right? Like some of the toughest stuff I ever did was also some of the coolest, like going mm -hmm. through boat school, uh, mm -hmm. or not, I didn't finish the boat school, going through, going to boat raids and boat operations and then doing sock X mm -hmm. special operations command exercise or something like that. Doing these certifications to say that we are special operations capable so we can launch a Zodiac off the back of a ship and then, go in, do a raid on a beach and then come back. Look, you're freezing cold. You haven't slept for two days. Uh, you're soaking wet. Everything you have is covered in salt and water. Um, you have paint on your face. You smell bad. 
after you got off the boat ride, which is exceptionally fatiguing on your muscles because you're just bouncing Four, through the water. Yeah, it's, four, it's 40 degrees. It's again, wet. Um, and you're just wearing camouflage. Like you're not, sometimes we'd be dressed in like a Mustang suit or some guys would have like a thin layer of like wetsuit on their upper body. But once you hit the ground and then you got to hump in for 15 miles with all your gear and machine guns and bipods and tripods and things like that, you don't want to have all the extra gear on yeah. it. Like that stuff sucked. It was terrible. It's terrible when the moment while you're doing it, because you're, you are exhausted. It's physical and emotional exhaustion at, at the point. But once you are done with that and everybody gets back on that boat and you, you're coming back into the, the tail of that boat and you throw the monkey's fist out there and they pull you back up there and, and you kind of get all your stuff unraveled and you go sit down. You're like, man, we just did some of the coolest stuff yeah. on earth that nobody it's, else can do except in the video games. It's, it's those, it's those moments and those periods of time where you're just, man, this, this is the worst. But once that's done, you look around at, you know, your brothers that you just went through this with and you go, we're the greatest thing on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, we're the we're the most feared and respected combat yes. force in the world, and this is why it builds right. it builds undescribable camaraderie when you go through things like that. With with that's why they make uh, you know practices for for sports teams so tough. They're right. building a team. They're building camaraderie. People yeah. to go out there and and put themselves on the line for their teammates, or in this case, you know, uh, other members of that branch of service. It's it's a it's absolutely incredible, but well, and, and and look, we're we're storytelling about combat, and I think the other part of this article was that there is this misconception because these are the stories that people want to hear. So that's the funny yeah. thing is that people want to hear these. Well, they think that you're they're going to be in a combat job because that's all they hear. Because uh, unfortunately, it's not eventful for the IT guy sitting on the Navy ship, yeah, to go like he doesn't have a war story that anybody's going to be necessarily interested in on a public forum, right? So there's there's not YouTube videos necessarily about. I guess you could probably find a YouTube video about logisticians and load masters putting stuff on aircraft and ships, right? But that's not, that is not pop culture. Uh, Top mm -hmm. Gun was not made about IT people and logisticians yeah. in the military. Top Gun was made about Tom Cruise being 87 years old, still flying fighter jets. But you know what? There's, there's a stories, especially from like World War II, where you had that guy who's just a cook. He's the guy that yeah. just is peeling the potatoes, making yeah. mashed potatoes. And guess what? They became, they came under, you know, you know, cr crazy ship and, and aerial fire from the Japanese. And this man <clears throat> made his way up out of the galley and, and manned the, you know, the machine gun there on the side of the ship for four hours and took out, you know, enemy combatants and yeah. risked his own life. And you always, you also get those sort of stories out of those people yeah. too, which are I, the best stories in my opinion. I, I interviewed a guy years ago who was a crew chief on a helicopter and they were just doing like food, like food reps. They were dropping off food at like a fire base or something like that, or a, a fob somewhere in Afghanistan. And when their helicopter touched down and dropped the food off, they started taking fire from right outside the wire. And he ended up jumping off the helicopter and going and rescuing people. Some, some folks that had ended up on the other side of the wire during mm -hmm. this little 10 minute skirmish. And he ended up getting, I can't remember if it was a Navy cross or a silver star. Mm -hmm. This was a long time ago that I talked to this guy. It wasn't on his resume. And I, I said, why is this not on your resume? Put it on your resume. Um, but, but I, 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 it occurred to me that those are the stories you hear again, to your point, Tim, the cook who's in the galley and yeah. then boom, you know, torpedo attack and they have to be dragged. It's not out their of the job. And they, they step up in those moments right. and those are the best stories. It, it shows, yeah. it shows, a, you know, not, not to call them trigger pools, but the, the, the individuals that are in those, those roles, those infantry style roles, that is completely their job. That is exactly what they're supposed to do. These individuals that are just 
you know, a, a maintenance mechanic on a, on an aircraft and they're running food supplies in and they touch down, drop off right. their load. They go to take off and, oh my gosh, here comes a firefight. He's jumping out of the aircraft to, to go support and protect, yeah. and, you know, save individuals. That's not his role. That is not no. his job description. No, he took it upon himself to do that. Those are the, those are the, yeah, those are the stories that really uh, get to me and go, you know, we're all, we're all there for the same goal. And that's what movies are made of. And yeah. that's why the, the, the perception is what it is. You know, however, uh, back to Mason's point, you know, college paid for, you got people uh, completing MBAs yeah. uh, on, on the military's dime, on the DOD's dime. This is the other thing about the military. The other 85% of the armed forces are people doing the jobs that we do out here. They are, yeah. they are mechanics. They're, uh, I, I like to talk about Navy nukes. Navy nukes are in such high demand in engineering roles in the, in the post-military sector. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these guys do five, six, eight years as a nuke on an aircraft carrier or a submarine, and then they can go out and pretty much have any type of engineering job or data center job that they want. And those jobs are paying a lot of money. They fall under that skilled trades thing right now. America's short on skilled tradesmen. Uh, if you don't want to go spend your own dime and time uh, going through HVAC school, go into the Air Force and go through HVAC school. Let them pay for it and teach you how to do it. Then when you come out with or without a bachelor's degree, you can go make $75,000, $100,000, dollars a year managing HVAC systems and buildings. So something to bear in mind that that's really what the bulk of the military is doing yeah. and why the misconceptions are here. The misconceptions are here because YouTube and pop culture. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we just spent a lot of time talking about Okinawa in our next article. Focuses on this, uh, on Okinawa. U.S. to swap out Marine Regiment stationed on Okinawa. Top national security officials from the United States and Japan are expected to agree to changes in the joint defense posture this week as the two nations confront rising threats from North Korea and increasing aggressiveness from China. I just read an article earlier this morning about uh, China is kind of reissuing their their threats towards Taiwan. So that's another thing that the U.S. is very concerned with. U.S. officials say that Secretary of State uh, Blinken and Defense Secretary uh, Lloyd Austin will meet on Wednesday with their Japanese counterparts and plan to issue a joint statement that will adjust, but not increase, the American troop presence on the island of Okinawa. Uh, according to the article, I, I want to say it's 3,400 Marines here. I'm scrolling. Yeah, they're saying that... Um, there are currently 3,400 Marines and sailors. That overall number of Marines and sailors on Okinawa would remain about the same. Um, so currently the 12th Marine Regiment is the uh, the big regiment there stationed on Okinawa. This will transform into a smaller, more rapidly mobile unit, the 12th Marine uh, Literal Regiment. Uh, this is something we, we spoke about a few months back. Uh, the new Commandant's vision for, for 2030 is to have smaller more mobile, uh, you know, quicker on their feet, able to get up and go at the snap of a finger style, um, you know, battalions, platoons, right. things of that nature. Um, you know, the, the, the future of, of conflict as they see it is going to be, you know, get in, get out, you know, you minimize the casualties as best as possible. You, you know, go in with a specific objective, hit your objective, come on up. Uh, if we need you for something else, we'll call you back up and, and we're going to get you out there. But uh, this is a, a this change is part of a broader shift being made across the Marine Corps as the Commandant General David Berger aims to make the service better able to operate and fight in contested areas. Well, and you know this. I mean, when, when we were in, they were talking about getting rid of the Marine Corps. Why do we need the Marine Corps? We have all these other yeah. branches. That, that was always a conversation. I don't know how how realistic it was. Like, 
how often it was ever actually happening, but that was a conversation that would bubble up from time to time. And, you know, politicians would ask the question, well, doesn't the army and the Marines, don't they do the same thing? And obviously as Marines, we were like, no way, no way. We're not the same thing. But what I would say mm-hmm. is one of the reasons I joined the Marines and not another branch was that it was sold to me as a small, capable combat force, combat element. It's, it's a, it's a, a raid force, an amphibious mm-hmm. raid force, which is what I really literally got to do. Uh, I got to do raids. You know, we come in in the middle of the night on a boat, uh, on a beach, and you don't see us. And we go hit an objective and we leave. And that's it. Um, if you look at, this has been in, in, in process since, you know, post-Civil War days, right? We don't line up and shoot at each other anymore. Yeah. Guerrilla warfare took over. Um, in Europe during World War One, people were hiding in trenches and shooting at each other inches at, by inches. World War II started becoming different, like how maneuver warfare operates today. Mm-hmm. You need air cover and naval battery and stuff like that. So it continues to increase. But uh, if you look at the way that modern conflict is going to look, uh, the Navy can handle, you know, mobile air cover. Uh, the Navy can can handle who's in the water, the ships and things like that. Uh, the army is a large, and I don't, this doesn't intend to sound like an insult to anybody, but the army is a, is a large combat occupational force. They can bring yeah. to bear hundreds of thousands of people with tanks and armor and substructure and superstructure and things like that. Yeah, they they can bring in buildings. Come in and, and just kind of overwhelm. Right. The and, and, well, and set up shop yeah. and stick around for a while. Yeah. The Marine Corps is not designed to do that. They were never designed to do that. So um, you know, Navy SEALs will tell you that they weren't designed to be fighting in the mountains in Afghanistan yeah. either, but they needed them to be there. So they had to kind of change in o- the operational, you know, how they did work uh, mm-hmm. so that they weren't exclusively sneaking in out of the ocean. Um, and then, of course, we we know what the Air Force does. The Air Force brings to bear air cover, air power, uh, intelligence, satellites, technology, you know, Doc, supplies. Getting those supplies like to us. Yeah, absolutely. right. I would say modern conflicts with a with a, a near peer enemy like China and, and, you know, let's, let's say this, I hope that we don't ever go in down that road. Yeah. That would not be pretty. And for all intents and purposes, we, we should effectively be economical allies, but we're not. Um, we s- seem to be pointing knives at each other. I understand this, uh, the article, it says we're not going to increase any troops on Okinawa. And the reason for that is, is twofold the way I see it. One, if you increased them, that would be a threat to China. They would, they would not like that. But secondly, and this happened when we were, we were in, uh, it was the idea that the, the Okinawans didn't want us there in the first place Mm -hmm. in some cases. So to increase and add thousands more Marines that might upset the, the local balance of things. Yeah, that is, that is something that the, uh, the article talks about is, you know, there's plenty of locals there that, especially with the, you know, the ruffled feathers between the U S and China and, you know, both of us kind of trying to peacock our, our way into dominance here a little bit. Um, the local Japanese uh, civilians are concerned that if we start to step up a, a larger presence over there, it's just going to invite China um, to get aggressive in that area. Right. So, right. Uh, right. Aaron, Aaron here with a, uh, another comment. I thought they just made golf courses uh, speaking about the air force. I don't think they make golf courses, but I know <laughs> that when you sign your, your, contract of four years with the air force you are now a member of every country club <laughs> across the country you know so it's uh it's a great branch of the military i you know when, as my nephews were getting older and they, they started to or nephews and nieces and they started to think about the military um, 
obviously as a, as a Marine, I'm, I'm mildly biased and I, I would love, love to, you know, see members of my family continue on going down that road. But I, I gave it to him and I said, what are you looking for? Do you want to get the benefits of the military, but also have some upside and, and a better life while you're in? Yeah, go to the Air Force. Um, I will say, though, that when watching a, a video, a DVD from when the first one got back from basic training and I saw the ice cream machine in their chow hall, it did what? upset me. Yeah. Yeah. I said, "Ooh, we got apple juice. You guys get soft serve. Same. I, <laughs> I don't remember even getting apple juice until like week 11 or yeah, something we like were, that. Yeah, we were more than halfway in. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think Sundays uh, my platoon could get like a glass of milk. Yeah. Sunday mornings or something and, like that. And, and, and they yeah, give the you juice. That was on Sundays. It'd give you more than three minutes to eat, uh, to eat your chow. Yeah. Uh, look, and by the way, for the Gen Zers and for anybody else who doesn't understand this, uh, the military, the, the interbranch rivalry is, is exactly what Aaron was referencing there. And it is, it's the jokes that, uh, Aaron was Navy. Uh, it's the jokes that people, yeah. you know, press upon each other. My whole family's Navy. My brother and my dad were both Navy. So you can imagine the, the mm -hmm. Thanksgiving day, uh, dinner conversations where I remind them that I'm better than both of them combined. Uh, but, but that's, you know, that's just, that's neither here nor there. Uh, it, it, it is what happens when you get military people together. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you have to it, talk a little smack from time to time. Yeah. You, you know, you get, you get a member from each branch together at a bar and at the end of the night, they're all going to be best friends. Right. Uh, you know, right. throughout the evening, they're probably all going to take shots at each other uh, yeah. and they're, and they're chosen branch of service. But at the end of the day, they're leaving, you know, everybody's going to have everybody else's phone number in their phone. They're, they're leaving, giving hugs. So that's how it yeah. is. Right. G go ahead. Uh, you pull this one up. Yeah. Mason just wrote a comment in there. I, I, I've always considered the, the core, the Marine Corps as a, a shock troop when you need, when you need a bigger than special operations forces, fast action troop that can mitigate a situation from escalating even worse with a combined, uh, with a combination of air, land and sea, the Marines is what you need. And that's exactly what we always thought we were too. We're not quite like the Marines don't get sent in necessarily as a six man or 10 man team or something like that. They get sent in uh, a little less than the whole brigade showing up. Um, but more than a special operations troop, you know, dropping in, in the cover of the night to, to, you know, to, to go in and execute a target or something. Yeah, you're like going to, you're, you're going to have a couple platoons coming at you, laying down heavy fire. Right. And, uh, you know, well, and, 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 and here's the other thing, uh, the Marine Corps with the Marine Expeditionary units at any given time, there are three or four Marine Expeditionary units out there floating around in the world. So there's probably one, you know, out in the Atlantic, uh, one probably down in uh, around Africa. There's probably one in the Middle East and or Pacific. Mm -hmm. And so at any given time, the Marine Corps can bring to bear 2000, 3000 Marines within 24 hours or 48 hours into any type of conflict or humanitarian issue. And I realized that like SEAL teams operate in a similar fashion. They're out there floating around anywhere in the world, uh, but they can also be flown in from Virginia or something like that. Um, and, and some of the other operational forces, but Marines typically are attached to, you know, Navy vessels or Navy operations uh, in that readiness state where we drop in and off of a USS boxer or something like that. And we can, be boots on the ground uh, before the enemy realizes that we're even there. Yeah. And that's kind of how it's uh, Aaron wrote. I am a pilot first, so I'm better than everyone. Uh, Tom, you and Tom Cruise, you and yeah. Tom Cruise. 
Don't don't think, just do. What did we reference last in the last week's podcast? It was that the guys got got fined. The guys for, fined five dollars every time they they quote that movie. So, yeah. Don't yeah. think, just do. You could be my wingman any day. And I was gonna say, you know, again, judging by the 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 headshot here, Aaron looks like he has the need for speed. You know, so <laughs> he does have the need. The need, the for, need speed. for speed, yeah, absolutely. I, I also wonder because Aaron said he liked his time in Oki. How much uh, sand volleyballs did you did you guys play <laughs> out there? <laughs> oh, the old sand volleyball scene. <laughs> we should make a a, a military <laughs> ego diagram. Hundred percent agree, Tim. Well, I think there'd yeah, be a bunch ahead. of circles and then some shape that hasn't even been invented for the Marine Corps. It's just yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just... Yeah. Yeah, you're not kidding. We, we should. Tam and I have actually kicked around the idea of having like military war stories podcast on the mm. side where we have a whole other we have a whole other conversation once a week about like we bring on guests and we talk about like the different crazy things that went on in the military again, like riding the floor polisher or um, it can, any, yeah, the goofy stories, war stories that I, I saw someone do this thing. You know. Yeah a bunch of pilots uh, playing volleyball on the yeah, beach yeah. uh like just the, the random guys during hurricanes or uh, t- uh typhoons in in japan guys jumping off like the third deck stairwell <laughs> yes, in the wind their with their ponchos and their helmets on and they're like <laughs> instead of falling they would sort of glide and then crash into the ground yeah. from 20 feet up just nonsense Put, it was, putting it on was, your kevlar to go outside and smoke a cigarette or you know yeah yeah you got to have body armor to go out during a hurricane to do anything um but it's it it's amazing stuff. I think we had one more article to cover. Did we not? We, we do. We do. We can probably get to this pretty quick. Uh, woman gets three years uh, in, in jail for a bogus online fundraiser for a veteran. We kind of talked, you know, when we were talking about Demar Hamlin last week and we were mentioning uh, his GoFundMe um, for his charity. Uh, you know, we mentioned that there were individuals out there being pulled from uh, GoFundMe for uh, fake accounts. You know, they were, they were setting up mock accounts under, you know, relatively you know, same names, trying to trying to get people fooled and get some free money here. Well, a New Jersey woman who pled guilty to helping her boyfriend spread a feel-good story about a homeless veteran that garnered more than 400000 in online donations has been sentenced to three years in prison on state theft charges. Um, the prosecutors say that Caitlin McClure, 32, was, was not present in the Mount Holly courtroom Friday because she's currently serving a one-year federal term in the case. Her state prison term will run concurrently and her former transportation department work. uh, This former transportation department worker will be barred from ever working again as a New Jersey public employee. Prosecutors said that McClure and her then boyfriend, Mark D'Amico, came up with a good Samaritan story in November of 2017, claiming that a homeless veteran, Johnny Bobbitt Jr., had given his last $20 to her when her car ran out of gas on an interstate exit ramp in Philadelphia. Listen, I'm from the area. Philly people aren't giving up their money. (laughs) (laughs) Fake story if I ever heard one. I can tell you that right now. Uh, The three conducted newspaper and television interviews and solicited donations to help Bobbitt through a GoFundMe campaign. They named it Paying It Forward, prosecutors said. Prosecutors also said that the campaign raised more than $400,000 from about 14,000 donors in one month's time. And at the time, it was the largest fund perpetrated I'm sorry, largest fraud perpetrated through the crowdfunding platform. Authorities began investigating after Bobbitt sued the couple, accusing them of not giving him the money. They eventually determined that all of the money was spent by March 2018. So we're talking about a pretty quick turnaround there. Four months to spend uh, nearly half a million dollars. 
with large chunks being spent by McClure and D'Amico on recreational vehicles, a BMW, and trips to casinos in Las Vegas and New Jersey. If you, you know, don't live in New Jersey, why are you going to Atlantic City? Travel. I, I wonder. I wonder if this started out as a if they started out with good intentions, mm -hmm. like maybe this guy did give them some money. I remember the story. Best case scenario, flipped them off. Right. Well, but, <laughs> but, but the funny thing is that this guy sued them and said, I didn't yeah. see any of the money. So it tells me that something happened. There was some interaction there. Maybe, maybe I'm mm -hmm. wrong, but well, it says that the three of them. So I'm assuming they brought him in on the, on the fraud. They said, Hey, you know, you're a veteran. Uh, okay. Can we say that you gave me your last 20 bucks so I could get a tank of gas. Gotcha. And and yeah, see, we'll and give you half the money or whatever. And that's the hard part about anything anymore. You get everywhere you go, you go to CVS pharmacy and, and, uh, or anything. And when you're checking out, it just, that one sticks into my mind. It asks if you want to donate a dollar for mm -hmm. different or round up to the nearest dollar for right. You know. Right. So everywhere you're going, you're being hit with these things. We need, we need your money. We want your money. Uh, and then something comes along. I donated some money to a friend of mine, actually from the Marines who's coaching basketball and his co his team made, one of the championships and they need to be able to pay for travel. And I guess a lot of the kids can't afford it. So I donated some money to that yesterday because it's legitimate. I know the guy, I know what they're doing, but there are so many of these things you read. If you could, you could flip through GoFundMe all day long mm -hmm. and, and read different things that need funding. And, and what's end up, what ends up happening is because of stories like this, I become very skeptical about all of them. Like, how do I know I'd love to give, I'd love to help somebody out and see a personal impact. I, I want some kid to have a birthday present or a Christmas yeah. present or something like that. But people, people muddy the water with mm. instances like this. And it, it makes it really hard to think well in that case. It, it, it's sad that you see something and you know, it's a, it's a child that has a, a rare condition and the family's struggling to pay medical bills. And you're like, Oh, you know, 20, 50, 100 bucks isn't going to, I won't even right. notice. Here you go. Right. And then three months later, you hear, oh, the family defrauded, you know, half yeah. a million dollars. And you're like, oh, the kid was fine. There was no kid. And, and then, you know, another three, four months pass and you see another one and the logic in your head is, oh, this one might be fake too. And, and it, it, the case yeah. could be that the, the second time you're seeing it, it, it's true. That kid and that family needs that money to help that kid receive the treatment they honestly need. And now you're, hesitant to, to give and it yeah it breaks down and even the 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 national charities again the ones that are asking for money at cvs because they've you know mm -hmm. four four million dollars was donated to to do something that did have meaningful impact mm -hmm. now you're kind of like well no i don't i don't know i what is that real yeah uh it's hard it's hard to it, it's unfortunate i'm glad to see that they're being prosecuted for it though mm -hmm. absolutely uh, you know i I would say that there are plenty of lists out there um, to go look at, at some of these charitable organizations and they'll break down exactly what percentage mm -hmm. of the money donated is actually going to these causes. A lot of these, these, um, you know, nonprofits are, are actually like rated, you know, one to five stars, uh, you know, what the impact they're actually making is, is, you know, right. uh, if I start an organization that's giving money to, to children with, you know, three ankles on each leg, and, you know, it comes to find out that, you know, 8% of the money donated is only going to the children. I'll probably get that one star. You know, you're, you want that, that organization that, you know, 80, 90, even a hundred percent of that money is going to these, these people that need it. So right, 100%. You, you can find that information out as, as anything else in the world nowadays. 
Go ahead, do a little Google search. Google search. I don't know what word I was trying well, to there, say there. There is a website. It's uh, Charity Charity Navigator. Okay. Uh, and I, I, there might be other ones, but I think Charity Navigator does a pretty good job of giving you it's charity right ratings and, and donor resources. So you can okay. go in and see how a place is rated, if they have any you know negativity about them or anything like that. But also on the topic, and I know we're out of time, on the topic of of saying, well, where should I put my money? This website also has best charities, highest mm -hmm. rated charities, but it also has where to give now. So for example, as I'm looking at this right now, there's a section for eight charities supporting California floods. There's 90 charities supporting veteran and military service members. There's 47 charities uh, supporting Ukrainian Russian crisis. So for example, if you're one of these people, you're like, Hey, I've got a, I've got some money burning a hole in my pocket. Um, which, which is nice for, especially times like these. Um, and you want to go do that and maybe have a tax deduction at the end of the year, as there's some benefit there, go onto the site and go look around. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you know, it's going to make you feel, uh, you know, even better when you know that that money's going to make an impact of some sort. So, right. Yep. So with all, with all that being said, I think that's going to wrap us up for the week. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us uh, again, another week where the chat was, uh, I think the kids say lit chat was lit oh. lit <laughs> lit. Hey, by the, by the way, before we hang up, yeah. I just noticed that there's a, inside of here there's a charity called puppies behind bars out of new york city 100% 100 of the funds go to the operation puppies I would, behind bars i would like to know what these puppies had done to get themselves behind bars you know are various criminal various criminal acts are we, are we committing like you know non harmful crimes you know petty theft things of that Ur nature urinating or? on urinating on government infrastructure like fire hydrants fire hydrants yes uh, you know, potentially making parks. noise making noise beyond the the noise ordinance things like uh, that yeah yeah stealing from the local shop puppies I, behind bars check that one out puppies behind bars everybody yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah. go go ahead it's and take us out tim it's an epidemic it truly is <laughs> plus everyone loves puppies yeah who doesn't love a nice puppy who doesn't love a puppy so, uh, yeah, with that all being said, thank everyone for checking us out this week and hanging out and being in the comment section. Appreciate everybody's feedback. Uh, love to see that action. You can find us on all the major uh, social media platforms. Uh, you can like us, follow us there. You can also find us on all the major podcasting platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Give us a like, rating, review. We would appreciate that very much. But until next time, we'll be right back here on Beyond the Wire.